Before we start, I just wanted to let you know that you can become a paid subscriber of Lekker on Substack, Patreon or Apple Podcasts. You'll get access to exclusive content to listen to and to read and your subscription really helps support Lekker. If you'd like to do that, head to lekkerpodcast.com forward slash support to find out more. This is Lekker. I'm Lucy Dealer. Welcome to the Lekker Book Club. Every month, I'll be picking a newly released food-related book and talking to the author about the process of writing it. I'll also be cooking from the book and writing about that on Substack and Patreon. You can join me there as well. This month, on the first edition of the Lekker Book Club, Maria Bradford's Sweets Alone. I will say it's a book that is full of amazing, delicious recipes. It's full of um, culture. It's full of stories about amazing people. It's full of things that you probably have never heard or known about, you know, the background, the history and that of Sierra Leone, really. And it's full of ingredients that will just be calling you, say, cook me, cook me, cook me. (laughs) Maria grew up in Sierra Leone and moved to Kent, UK, in her late teens. Sweets Alone is the first English-language book of Sierra Leonean recipes published internationally. And in it, Maria wanted to share the unique nature of the food in her home country, but also celebrate the country's people, including her own family. But it wasn't necessarily a smooth process writing the book, as you'll hear her talk about. We spoke about the culture shock Maria experienced on arriving in the UK, what it was like encountering strawberries and apples for the first time. But it was Maria's deep-rooted curiosity about all kinds of food that eventually led her on a path to training at Leith's Culinary School and setting up her fine diner and catering business, Shwen Shwen, a Creole phrase meaning fancy. It's this outlook and experience that closely informs the recipes in the book, from traditional dishes learned from her mother and grandmother to her very own brand of Afrofusion. I met Maria in her publisher's office a couple of weeks before publication and we sat down with a copy of Sweets Alone in front of us. Obviously, Maria felt a huge responsibility writing about Sierra Leonean food in an environment where it hasn't really been widely written about before. But it was also an extremely personal experience writing this book that at times came almost too close for comfort. I'm always thinking, oh, am I going to remember everything that I said? Well... (laughs) I think it's fine yeah. you don't. <laughs> I hope I do. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of writing. And it's that thing when you're writing, you're sending bits by bit, bit by yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. bit by bit. And all of a sudden, your bit by bit turns into a book. Yeah, okay, so that's how it felt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Because yeah. there's a lot of you in this book, isn't there? Like a yeah. lot of you. Mm. Yeah, and how did that feel to write that much of yourself? <sighs> It's um, it's a bit difficult yeah. writing about yourself. I do enjoy writing about other people, but not necessarily <laughs> myself. I, I, you know, I don't mind writing about my family and my grandmother and stuff because yeah. I feel like there's always so much to say about them. But then when it comes to you, you always feel like it's drawing that line, isn't it? Yeah. Where you don't come across as me, 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 almost. Right. And, um, but you're still kind of telling your story. Yeah, and is there almost a sense that you want to like protect that? Yeah, as of well? course, absolutely. Because um, I'm, I'm, I've always been like, even on social media, I'm very protective mm. of my 
personal space and um, yeah. and um, what I share because I just feel like it's very easy for people to just say, oh yeah, I know her. Yes. Yeah. And you just like you just want to leave a little bit for yourself. Definitely. But then all of a sudden, it's all in a book. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, this is where I was born. This is my date of birth. That was a bit hard because I'm just like, they've got my full name. Nobody is. I've never put any of my full name. Yeah. My what's on my passport anywhere. And all of a sudden my full name, my date of birth, is in the book. I'm like So why did you choose to include it? Because you could have left that out. I could have, but I think it was Sarah's <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I could have left that out. But um yeah. I don't know why I chose to include it. I didn't write it. I think you know, I've always been guarded about that. But even in interviews, yeah. people do push because I think people just yeah. feel like they need to know you. Yeah, that's When they so interview true. you, they want to know you. They want to know you. And there's a lot of question about childhood and um, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, before you know it, you're given information that you don't want to <laughs> give. <laughs> people get you in a room and yeah, you publish it. Make you feel comfortable. Make you feel comfortable, <laughs> yeah. Call for you coffee yeah that's really interesting and before you know you're spilling you're telling them everything yeah bank details (laughs) mother's maiden names (laughs) first pair (laughs) do you think you could have written this book without getting that close to yourself no why not um because um it's it's really it's, it's like digging, dig, digging deep, but yeah. and um, and also there's a lot of positive, obviously, that I wanted to write about yeah. um, when it comes to my childhood. But it's also writing about reality, and the reality comes from writing and going into other places and just writing about those things. Mm. Um, you're not trying to be superhero for everybody, mm. but you open that there are people who read that and it resonates with them. Especially when it comes to like things like immigration stories mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you know, there are lots of migrants um, here mm. in the UK and other parts of the world, and it's just like I'm sure we all have similar stories and similar feelings. And um, this book is very much written where you you're missing home, you're missing food, you're missing people, mm. and all of that get blended into one, and you find yourself in this new wall in this new space Mm. and you're trying to find yourself and how do you find yourself you find yourself through food through the things which is so familiar not finding that initially is such a a rude awakening like it's just like I'm in a new place yeah and so that's how it felt when you first got here it felt like a rude awakening yeah it, it, it was absolutely it's not just like you're learning about new places, isn't it? You're also learning new new food, new cuisine, new ingredients. Yeah. Not necessarily as a cook, but as an eater. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who just loves to eat, somebody who's grown around food, somebody who's grown around lots of family members. I grew up in a house where there's siblings, there's my mom, my grandmother, yeah. there's lots of aunties, there's lots of uncles. Everything was surrounded about around food and everything was surrounded around um, celebrating food. Mm. And all of a sudden, they're new and exciting ingredients, of course. Like, I've never had strawberry. I've never had black, wow, blackberry. Okay. Yeah. And that. So it's all new and exciting. So you should be enjoying it. But at the same time, you're not able to enjoy it because you're missing 
Yeah. You can't relate to it. Yeah. Now I can relate to strawberry. You know, now I'm a Kentish woman. So <laughs> I can relate to it. You have to. to. It's I a law. have to. Yeah, it's a law. Exactly. Now I can relate to it. Now it's like in the summer, if I don't eat strawberry, I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> you know, if I go away and there's no, I'm sitting in Sierra Leone, I should be enjoying it. I'm like, oh, I wish I was eating strawberries. You know, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah. such a it's such a strange thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting you talk about an ingredient like strawberry like that, because I think in this country there's, there's such a lens on like foods that are quote unquote exotic yeah. or like non-native, which is kind of most of our foods, to be honest, because yeah. we import so much. We don't really grow that much. Yeah. But then actually, like, I think it can be really easy to forget for people who don't broaden their kind of horizons in terms of what food they're reading about and people that they're reading, mm. that everything is exotic to someone. Yeah, So exactly. Yeah, everything. And I should say the berries were like, even the apple, right, you know? right, like apple. Yeah, we do have apple, but it's imported. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah. And apple in Kent, it's quite crunchy. Yeah. It's so lovely. And then I never knew there was so many varieties yeah. of apple. So many. I just thought there was either pink or green apple, and that's it. Because that's me, all you'd That's see. all I've seen. Yeah. So all of a sudden, there's these different apples, and then the things that are really familiar. When you do approach them, like the papaya, the mango, the exotic fruit, they taste horrible. So it's like a twisted version (laughs) of everything. (laughs) It's just like, what the hell is happening? It's like, all of a sudden, what I know tastes disgusting. And what (laughs) the things that I don't know. Everything is upside down. Everything's upside down. The things that I don't know are the most amazing taste ever. So it's so good. <laughs> so yeah. you quickly start learning about things. Yeah. Um, you start reading. I've always loved reading anyway. So you quickly start typing and Googling or researching. Not really Googling. There wasn't that much Googling. Yeah, but yeah. researching and asking a lot of questions about and being really curious. I've always been curious about food anyway. Yeah. So asking a lot of questions. But it's also weird when a teenage person is asking someone, what is strawberry? <laughs> Yeah, you think... How do you not know that? How do you not know yeah. that? And thinking, yeah, you, you you think or something. No, I'm not. But just like you wouldn't know what guayava is and right. you wouldn't know what this is. Right. I'm just saying like, yeah, what is strawberry? Yeah. Yeah. Why? And you're asking because you want to learn. Yeah, you want to <laughs> learn. Exactly. You want to learn and you want to know. And you're thinking, these are all new stuff. But then again, you know, I always say that's my superpower because I don't only know about all the exotic stuff. I also have new knowledge and new power of knowing all this new stuff that a lot of people don't know. So... Yeah, you know everything. I'm the best. I know everything. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm like my own Google. <laughs> Honestly, that's the best way to be. Exactly. I'm, <laughs> so you know, you know everything. So you know everything that you've grown up around. Yeah all these amazing ing- exotic ingredients, but you also know all this new stuff that you keep picking. So everything keeps being exciting. Everything is exciting. And it's only when you find that comfort and that balance and you start settling because it takes mm. some time to do that. So you take that balance, you settle. And once you're settled and then you start thinking, okay. And that takes a really long time, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you start learning. It's a process. It, it's a process. It's absolutely a process. And I think it's much better when you're younger yeah. than when you're older. Yeah. So I always feel terrible for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s coming to a new place because um, I know it must be really difficult because mm. you're settled in your way and probably people had jobs like I have uncles and aunties and people who are traveling and they've had jobs before they had a life they mm. had a home they had respect mm. they had people who looked up to them and all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they're nobody mm. and it's quite a lot to process yeah yeah for an adult yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. So you were a teenager yeah. when you came here mm -hmm. and you've stayed here since then. Yeah. So all of these kind of Kentish ingredients and other ingredients of other counties of the UK, when did you start cooking with those ingredients? My very first job that I had was at an Italian restaurant. Oh, really? Very first. I was um, at a college in um, Tunbridge. Mm. And then I had a job at West Smalling, where I lived. It was an Italian, little, small Italian high street restaurant. And it was the very first place that I really started, like, with ingredients and seeing more different stuff, how amazing simplicity of cooking yeah. and using different ingredients. I was just there to wash dishes, but yeah. of course I was asking a lot of questions and just seeing, you know, what they're doing. Why are you putting this and why are you doing that and all of that? Yeah. You know, some of them were very open to talk about it. <laughs> some of them were like, get out of my way, go face what you're doing. But I was doing the washing and because I was so interested as well, I was um, helping as well with washing vegetables. Right, Yeah, and right. prepping vegetables, okay. washing vegetables and, you know, taking supplies in. So you get to see all of that. But then I had to leave because I went to uni. <laughs> right. But that kind of love for cooking. And at home, I was still, you know, all of a sudden I did find like the, the thing that I was doing more of cooking was peanut soup. Mm. which is a Cerulean thing. We used a lot of peanuts to mm. do like stews and soups. So peanut soup, I could find peanut butter, mm -hmm. easy. And then I had to find the right chili. Yeah, it was only bad side. We don't really oh, use bad yeah, side. Yeah. So to get the heat. In fact, I started with the bigger ones, the bigger red ones, thinking yeah. that, oh, that must be hot. No, it's not. <laughs> and then <laughs> you move slower and then he's like, oh, Birdside chili, and then you try that. It's like too much seeds, not the same. Yeah. Still, like there's something missing, but it's a little bit closer. Yeah. To that, and then you know, back then supermarkets didn't even sell Scotch bonnet chili. Yeah, yeah. At all, so you start moving, moving, and then you're like, okay, I'll settle in with the, you know, this birdside chili. It's fine. I'll make do with it. <laughs> it will do for now. But then it's comfort. And so every time you cook that peanuts, I cook that peanuts, introduce it to friends and new friends and that, their eyes just pop open and they're so excited by this new flavor. Oh, I didn't even know you can do peanut soup. I didn't know you can put peanuts in a sauce with chicken and spices and put rice with it. And it tastes this amazing. And they kept calling it curry. I'm like, it's not curry. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with curry. We're I don't even know curry. what curry yeah. is. But yeah, but it's not curry. I so said, we don't call it that. We call it soup. And of course, soup in the European context is very different to us. Yeah. Because soup is not necessarily what we drink. We don't have soup culture. Yeah. So when you say soup, it's something that you eat with something else. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That so makes sense. So it's navigating that. <laughs> so I was like, do you want to come out for soup? Um, 
What? <laughs> yeah, and I'm put a bowl of tomato soup in front of me. I'm like, uh, where's the wait, rest? Where's the rest of it? <laughs> is this going with rice? <laughs> oh no, right. you just drink yeah. it. Uh. That doesn't make sense to me. That's not food. You just drink it. <laughs> it's a very fair comment. <laughs> and whilst I was at uni, also I was cooking a lot yeah. and just enjoying, you know, experimenting with um, ingredients and that. And then I found Peckham. Because ah. I was living in Kent, so I didn't know there was Peckham existed. So I was more coming to London, when we come to London site viewing, it was more central London and stuff, and then found Peckham. The day that I found Peckham, oh my God, it was like, how come nobody, this has been No paid. one thought to tell nobody me. Nobody thought to tell me there was a place where I can come. And the insane thing was I got off the train at Peckham and there was people speaking Creole. Wow. Okay. Was that the first time the that you'd first heard Creole time. since you'd left? Exactly. Wow. Do you know, like, it was just like, whoa, mm -hmm. this is like, it was That's just amazing. such an amazing feeling. I could have cried, yeah. seriously. It was just such an amazing feeling. The hustle, the bustle, it just felt like I was in Sierra Leone. And it just felt home mm -hmm. and I'd found my new place and I could find ingredients that I could relate to. Mm -hmm. There was plantain, there was cassava, there was this. I had so many bags, you know, I wanted to buy the whole pecker and take it with me. And it was so exciting. Of course, then I started doing a bit of cooking, but not necessarily professionally, okay. just for friends and home. I started cooking professionally 2017. Okay, and so what led you to that part of your journey? What sort of sparked you to take that step? It was a lot of compliments and a lot of um, bussing around by family members <laughs> because um, I was always making stuff and they were all like, oh, you know, you should do this, you should do this. And then my cousin got married and she wanted me to do the food. Okay. And then I did the food for her wedding for 60 people. Wow. And... It was so amazing, well, from the guest. Um, everybody kept asking, people that I didn't know, asking for my card, asking how they can contact me. I was like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then 2017, I started my first Instagram post of her wedding. Just posted a little something of my cousin's wedding, talking about it. And I was actually really shocked by how many people were liking what I was doing mm -hmm. and then of course that encourages you to do more to experiment a bit more but I was mm -hmm. still working because I was doing um accounting and finance so right, I still right. had a job yeah that I was doing doing that bit by bit and just posting and they just more and more excitement and then I thought you know my husband was like maybe you know these drinks that people have been telling you it's really nice the chili sauce and all of that maybe you should bottle it and we do try farmers market mm. So I did. And Farmer's Market, again, was a massive shocker and eye-opener. We just did a taster. I ran out that oh day God. at Farmer's Market. I had lots of drinks and I ran out. I ran out of all the chili sauce, ran out of all the drinks. That's amazing. And, yeah, and just uh, the interest yeah. and the hunger for people to learn about new stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. was just... And I didn't know British people liked chili that much until that <laughs> Farmer's Market. They were putting it on everything. So... <laughs> It's just like, okay. We might not sell any chilies here, but <laughs> exactly. we love it. Love it, yeah. So I was just like, I can, okay. So, yeah, and it just started from that. But it's, again, still, you know, I had this thing where, I, maybe it's the African in me, but I just, like, 
I've studied for everything that called myself. You know, I've gone to school, gone, had a degree, blah, blah, blah. So I just felt like, you know, I needed to dig deeper into this food. Mm -hmm. I know a lot about food. I know a lot about ingredients. And I cook a lot from recipes and that. But I wanted to go to culinary school just to dig more. So I went to Leeds. Wow. Um, Okay. And what was that like? Very exciting. Yeah. I've always thought I was academic until I got to Leeds and I actually realised I was made for cooking. Because... Everything just kind of, it was like a puzzle fitting in perfectly. That must have been such a kind of lovely realisation. Absolutely. To be like, this is where I need to be. Yeah. It was just the, the best thing. And I remember him saying, like, it's going to be stressful um, and all that. I never once found it stressful. Wow. It was, the only thing I found stressful was getting there because I live in Kent and it's in London. <laughs> but once I'm there, I never, ever found it stressful. For me, I felt like it was a place where I could go and relax. That's wow. how it felt for me. It was wow. just, things just fitted in. Yeah. You know, and just, so what, what does the training at least involve? It's very classic, right? yes, classic French. It's very, cla- very classic French. So, well, from there, before I went, I knew very much like... It was really important to me to showcase Sierra Leonean food. Mm-hmm. I'd written lots of letters to different restaurants and different African chefs before I went there because I really wanted to gain an experience in an African kitchen to mm. see how it's done. Mm. But I couldn't really get anyone to come back and say, yes, um, right. we'll have you. So, um, which is why I went there. Mm. It made sense to me and it still makes sense to me because um, I needed to kind of polish on... I was making mayo, I didn't know the science behind it, for example. I was doing things that I didn't really know the science behind or if they go wrong, how you correct it. Mm. Um, and the reasoning for that. I had a nice skill, you know, of cutting potato leaf with my hand and doing it perfectly in a traditional Serenian way. But um, I didn't have a European knife skills that was for chef, um, you know. So it was good that I went there and pick up those skills and just blend it in with what yeah. I knew already. But there also I realised that there was a massive space for what I do Yeah, because um, there were lots of times where I really wanted to have a conversation with the tutors about my food and what I know as food. Mm. Um, it was easy for them to have conversation with the Italian, the Spanish and that but not as easy for them to interact with me with food that was very much my culture, my food, food that were just like a baby would know, for example. So that was a little bit frustrating, I'm not going to lie, because um, you're in a space where you're meant to be learning about food. So, of course, you want everybody involved in that space to know a bit more about people coming from different angles. Yeah. But there was that shortcomings, which <laughs> which I've spoken to them about. Um, okay. And that, there was that, which was missing, but it still didn't take away the fact that I learned a lot. Yeah, of course. And um, I learned a lot, and I learned that also there's room for what I do, there's space for what I do, and I think it's very, very important that I am in this space yeah. because people need to know that there are other people across the barrier of food, yeah. this food chain or hierarchy that's been done. Yeah. There are other people on the other side of that, and they, their voices need to be heard too. Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, it just made me want to push even further. Yeah, it's interesting you use the example of the sort of European knife skills versus your knife skills, because I think there can be a tendency um, in in the UK, certainly, and then I think in sort of Europe more widely, that there is the, the kind of like fine dining experience mm. 
is one thing mm. and it, it involves one set of mm. skills, one set of an outlook on food, an yeah. approach to ingredients. Mm. And I think it's so exciting to have people like you coming in and, and saying like, actually, no, yeah. <laughs> this isn't the way it should be yeah. or needs to be. I, absolutely not. Yeah, my knife skills might make you want to look away, but it's still my <laughs> knife skills. Like I have learned it from my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother. Yeah. The rest of my family have been using that knife skills for yeah. generation, generation. Like, you know, we've had a food identity and a food culture that runs over thousands of years. Yeah. And um, we might be eating with our hands and stuff like that, but there's still a very strong food etiquette with it. Yeah. You know? When I, my husband is English, if I take him to Sierra Leone, I'm constantly saying, you can't stick your left hand into food and eat with it. You can't do this. You can't do this. So we have our own etiquette around yeah. dining and, and food. So, And to just dismiss that as not important yeah. or not pat, not on the table, yeah. I think it's frankly quite rude, actually. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's um, about a space that accepts that, you know, everyone's food is equally important you might not know about my food culture and my food history and that, but it doesn't dismiss it. Yeah. You know, and me being, to be honest, I feel like, you know, me or us um, wanting to learn about other people's cultural skill, it makes us, I don't know, the bigger people, if you like. Yeah, I think because, that's um, Yeah. Because I'm, I'm taking an interest in yeah. learning and I'm hoping that, you know, other chefs who have had those similar trainings that I've had want to learn a bit more about my cuisine yeah. and not just jump on, because it's not a food trend, not just jump on it, but also like have this curiosity enough to learn about it, to learn about the ingredients, to know what those cultural references mean to us and mm -hmm. why we're doing A, B, C and Z, because that's what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know. I'm not just stepping into this food world and saying I'm going to, I don't want to do French cuisine. So I didn't have any reason to go and learn about French classics. But I thought it was important in my journey to learn about that if I'm going to be doing mixing flavors and mixing techniques. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's almost kind of a shame in a way that we feel like that's the kind of pinnacle of <laughs> Like well, chef yeah. culture, but I guess yeah. that's maybe a, an argument for a different time. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to be honest, I think reading the book really revealed to me my own lack of knowledge about Sierra Leonean food. Mm. It's not a food I know anything about, really. Yeah. And it's new. So. Well, I mean, it's not new. <laughs> well, yeah, it's new in the UK, so. It's new for me. Yeah. Um, but I... Was that a lot of pressure for you writing the book? Because it feels like I kind of had a look and it didn't really feel like there have been no. many, if any, books. Right, yeah, yeah that's So this I is the first Cerulean book published by an international publisher. Wow. So it, there was lots of pressure. Yeah. Because you're almost like setting the standards for what, and you're hoping somebody beats it all the time. I'm hoping somebody does something that's even more amazing. But you want to do so much justice. So there's lots yeah. of pressure and lots of research that goes into it. And we don't have a culture of people writing recipes down. Right, I was going to ask more, you about that. It's yeah. more, um, you know, you have to earn it. In an African culture, you really have to earn it. For your mom to reveal what goes into that sauce, she feels like you need to be in the kitchen, burn your hand a little bit, um, a lot. Maybe have a few slices on your arm and really earn your rights to those recipes. And then right. once you've earned those rights, then you can say, I can cook, you know? It's, it's just 
that culture and why not? You know, it's, it's so important to us because quite a lot of time our food is so tied to, to our heritage and stuff yeah. like that. So, of course, so they feel like you need to earn that. So it's difficult navigating because even mm. asking, like asking my mom, she'll tell me the ingredients of some of the stuff. I'm like, so why do you put this in this? Oh, you should know all of this. And she gets quite frustrated about it too. And it's just like, she just feel like, why are you asking? Are you an yeah, idiot? You, you should, should know. know. Yeah. You know, you're a grown woman. Why are you? I'm like, I'm doing a book. I need, to, I need to make sure it's accurate and stuff like that. I mean, she's the person that you need to ask because the information doesn't exist. You know, there's no Googling, exactly. like you say. There's no Googling, yeah. So there's lots of that. So there's lots of research, lots of navigating, lots of um, also trusting your own instincts with some of the stuff yeah. and um, reasoning behind it. You know, yeah. there's a reason why they do everything. So the reasoning it. And it's through this process as well that you learn, you learn to appreciate your own culture as yeah. well and the depth of flavor and how we get depth of flavor from our food and, um, you know, how important ingredients is. Because you grew up in a culture where people just think what you're eating is basically a baseline food there's no integrity behind it there's no culture behind it and then you know you don't believe it of course mm. but then it does take its toll sometimes and then you start digging into your own food into your own culture and then you realize wow you know my ancestors were genius geniuses because um there's a lot of thought lots of effort that gone into everything that they've been doing yeah. and why they put a and b together and why it works so well why is it that when you put oguri and pamol together and it's boiling and you can be anywhere it just takes you home you know it's such an amazing thing to realize all of a sudden but writing this cookbook really really made me dig deep and um made me feel extremely proud. I've always been proud of being Sierra Leonean mm. and an African, but it's um it's it really just takes you one step into, you know, closer yeah. to the yeah. people who had come before you. Yeah. 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 I know mm. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's almost like it feels so incredible to think that somebody made that discovery that, yeah um, so I think you mentioned is it ogiri yeah and that's fermented, fermented sesame, sesame right sesame. and just you know who who yeah, did that exactly exactly <laughs> you know and cassava leaf you know cassava leaf and they're they're also like things that if you eat it raw it will kill you who would thought you know who paid the price who paid the price <laughs> you know how many people paid the price yeah to say don't eat it in large numbers if you eat it in large numbers, okay. So a smaller number is fine. Yeah. You'll have probably stomach cramps. But if you eat it in large numbers, probably no, gone. No. Yeah, yeah. Don't sit down and put a big bowl of raw, raw cassava leaf and eat it. It tastes horrible anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> that's but the first time. Who yeah. thought of that? Talking about ingredients, was that something sort of that you had to try quite hard to navigate writing a book? that is about Sierra Leonean food in the UK, mm. was, was there a balance between like wanting to make sure people use the right ingredients Absolutely. and being aware there's not always in, you know, particularly in places outside of major cities, mm. it's not always the easiest to get hold of. I think, which is why um, I've tr just tried very, very hard. So with the traditional stuff, I've tried really hard to stick to it as original as it can be yeah. without compromising it. Because yeah. I feel like if you need to taste Sierra Leone, you really want to taste Sierra Leone. I don't want to compromise that. And I just feel like we're in a world where you can find things online. Yeah, it's true. Quite easily. So if you do a bit of research, you will find it. 
But I've also made quite a huge effort to have a repository on my website so people have access to information where they can get these um, ingredients, the strange yeah. ingredients that they cannot find. Um, yeah. They can find it. And also, you know, without being rude, I'm just like, well, I love Japanese food. My daughter is hugely into Asian food. When we want to cook those Asian foods, we sit on the internet and we research it and we find where we can get the ingredients online. Yeah. And we find it and we get it and we cook from it. Yeah. So the there's people, no excuse. There's really. no excuse. So yeah. the people that really, really want to, they will find it. The people that don't want to dig that deep, they're there for fusion stuff that they can start with, the street food, you know. Sainsbury's, I just realized, have been selling. I went there, yes, it was two days ago. I bought cassava, I bought plantain, I bought red palm oil, I bought the cocoyam. Mm. So supermarkets are stocking up. Yeah. And the more books and the more people that yeah, realize yeah, that yeah, they yeah. can get. So you can cook quite a lot of these ingredients from just things from the supermarkets. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's it's nice to, to kind of give people the encouragement to look for it. Yeah. You know, I, I think the note about, you know, if you do go to, in the book about, if you do go into an African mm. grocery store, like... How make an effort to talk to people talk to and them. ask yeah. them because they will be happy to help oh, you. Oh, they will be. They'll be really, really happy to help because they want people to work into their shop. Of course. They want people to be interested in their food. They want people to ask them questions about their food because, yeah. um, you know, it helps sell their goods, you know, and it helps. It's a nice feeling to know that you're in the UK where you're in a minority, but there's somebody who is also interested in what you're eating and not just the other way around. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So, are there any recipes in the book that are particularly meaningful for you? Would you like to talk me through? You can pick a few. It's easy. Okay, yes. That's a tough one. It's the worst question it's, I know. It I'm is, sorry. Yeah. So, I will start with cassava leaf first. Okay, And great. I think just because that one, it's, oh, wow. it's our national dish. Okay. Yeah, okay. so cassava leaf is like our national dish and it's just, so special to us, um, Sierra Leoneans. And I have here also um, the fish, fish bowl stew. And this one is especially, you know, important because the days where my mom will be like, oh, you know, I don't have enough money today, so we're just gonna cook simple. That's when we'll usually cook this, this sauce. Mm. And she thought it was something that was just, oh, I don't have money, I'm broke. But it was actually like our favorite. Like it was like my favorite thing, the fishbowl stew that she did. Like lots of efforts and stuff goes into it. But it's just such a, you know, such a delicious stuff. And for me, it just also just shows the magic and the resilience of Sierra Leonean women. Yeah. And how, you know, you don't need lots and lots of um, expensive ingredients to make yeah an amazing dish and um and also how we we really we're not wasteful mm. we use everything yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so we're not, we're not wasteful at all so yeah so fish post you <sighs> and then you know the afrofusion thing you'll be hard to choose because um the afrofusion part for me is where i feel like innovation and this excitement about taking an ingredient that Sierra Leoneans and non Sierra Leoneans can both have the joy of discovering. Mm. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, so Sierra Leoneans know the traditional bit, but the Afrofusion bit is things that they don't know. They just know plantain. 
Yeah. So turning plantain into a hand pie and putting feta into it, that's exciting. And that always gets excitement. Cassava, doing the croquet with it and adding things like pancetta and manchego cheese to it. It's exciting. Adding leeks to it. It's exciting mm. for me. Yeah, it's exciting for them. So it's a new discovery. So it's that thing where non-Sierra Leoneans are like thinking, oh, croquet. I know what croquet is. But eating it with cassava in it and discovering new ingredients and new statue food that can be used to make those things. But also Serulinians very much aware of cassava and know what taste it is. Yeah. And knowing what pancetta is as well. And putting those together and, and that so that's exciting. So it's almost like it's a mutual discovery yeah. for both sides. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a really, I've never quite thought of fusion like that before because I think sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of bad fusion. I know. Let's be honest. Mm. Oh, but yeah. actually, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. And I've never thought about it from that perspective. Mm. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like this one, for example. This, this is. Um, so, this is the mackerel. Mackerel. So, so the, the sauce there is hibiscus. Oh, wow. Yeah, so hibiscus petals in Sierra Leone, we have two different hibiscus. Like we have the white ones and the red one. Okay. The white one we use like in sauces, uh, savory dishes. The red one we use mainly for drinks because right, um, yeah. you know, we don't have yeah. a dessert caution. Yeah, I was very interested by yeah. that. Yeah, no, yeah. We don't. yeah. When you eat, you eat fresh fruits. That's your That's dessert. It. That's yeah. your lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we make drinks with this, but creating this dish where we do cure fish, we do smoke fish, but okay. we don't necessarily smoke fish or cure it to eat like that. We usually cure it with salt to okay. put in other sauces yeah, to put yeah. in dishes. But serving it like this where it looks, it's quite European, yeah. you say, but it's taking very traditional elements and sometimes even traditional cooking methods and curing and doing it like this where it looks European. Yeah. And um, so it's both a new discovery for Cyrillinians and non-Cyrillinians because, um, Absolutely. you know, it's um, Cyrillinians aren't used to eating their fish like that. They're not used to eating hibiscus in this way. Yeah. And it's the same way like Europeans don't know probably what, that you can eat hibiscus like that. A lot of people are familiar yeah, yeah. with hibiscus tea. Yeah, and, and that's um, it. And that's yeah. it, yeah. I loved what you said about getting off the train at Peckham Rye and hearing Creole spoken, because I wanted to ask you about language. So you mm. speak three languages, English, yeah. Creole, and is it Mende? Mende, Mende yeah. yeah. How was it writing the book in one of those languages, especially because you're saying that Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone doesn't have a necessarily like a huge written recipe culture. Mm. So there's almost like a double translation. You're tr maybe translating from Creo or Mende, mm -hmm. but then also translating from non-written to written. Did it feel <laughs> like that? We, we, we have like about 18 different languages. Right. But we also, like all my, like it's, it's terrible that I went to, it's actually terrible that I went to school in Sierra Leone. Did all my formative years in Sierra Leone, but all my education was in English. Right. So okay, okay. it was only when I left, actually, I think it was a couple of years after I left that they introduced learning traditional languages at school. It's such a shame. Which is yeah. such a shame. And um, so all my language and uh, and people widely speak um, Creole as well. But in some of like the really traditional recipes, the names and that, yeah. trying to translate that name, um, which is mainly in Mende because my mother speaks Mende. Right. So she will call it that particular name, but you might speak to somebody else in a different region that speaks, calls it name. completely yeah. um, different. 
But yeah, my the, my only saving grace is when it comes to those leafy things. And so Linians can chase me about that later. <laughs> like those leafy greens, like my mother's tribe is like the best at it. Right. So you've yeah. got the authority. So I've got the authority. <laughs> so when it comes to like how it's cooked, um, like, you know, we're the best at cooking those leafy greens and that, like the cassava leaves, the potato yeah. leaves and that. You want to eat it from somebody who is Mindy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, you can call it what you like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we've got names for it, and I've tried to put some of the names um, in there. Like, but I've put more like the Creole names, which is cassava. We call cassada. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So that's that's the Creole name. Yeah. <laughs> and um, jute leaves. Like my husband usually jokes, like we like to double things because um, uh -huh. jute leaves we call cream cream. <laughs> yeah. Like, nice. I don't know why we've pluraled it. Yeah, Because usually it's, with plural, you use like the double thing, like sand. We call it sand sand. Oh, okay. <laughs> so instead of adding an S, like you might do. Yeah, no, I really like that. That's great. <laughs> sand sand? Yeah, sand sand. Yeah, great. Makes sense to me. <laughs> it's more than one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Walking, we say waka waka. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, why just give you one? They give you a double. <laughs> you say in the book that you found it really hard to write. Yes. Was that just because you found it difficult to write about yourself or was it the actual process of writing? That is the actual okay. process of writing. Yeah, I and mean, it's hard. It is very hard because for me, I feel like writing involves like really almost like forgetting everything that's happening outside and sitting down and focusing on that one thing that you're doing yeah and my brain doesn't necessarily work like that yeah okay you know I want to be I'm more excited because I'll be lying in bed and I'm thinking about recipes or I've tasted something somewhere and I'm thinking oh I can put this and this together I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking I need to go to the supermarket or I need to call Becky who supplies vegetable <laughs> and say can I have this this and this and I want to be in the kitchen making notes as well as trying things out and sometimes I try one million times failed but I like that process yeah. because it means I'm doing something. And um, yeah. I mean, I'm mean, that space of excitement where it's creative um, and writing is so different. It's, it's just like, and it's not something that I've done before. The last time right. I wrote anything like this was a dissertation. Wow, and, um, okay. <laughs> no. So really in at the deep end of writing a book. Exactly. Yeah. So I do write with Instagram and that, but it's always like fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's no structure to it. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's more like the structure parts of this as well, that because um, yeah. you can't just write, 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 write. You know, you send it to Sarah and she's like, mm, <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should talk about it this way. So, okay. So and was that a uh, helpful process to kind oh, of have yeah. someone come back oh, to God, you? Oh, God, yeah, like, yeah. It, it is. Like, I had, like, amazing, two amazing people um, working with me. I had Sarah. And I had Susan as well. Mm. And they're both like very detailed yeah, um, individuals yeah. which work for me. Because yeah. I really like to know. And planning as well. You know, I like to know. I plan everything. I like to know what I'm doing today, tomorrow and so on yeah. and so forth. And, uh, and I prefer talking to people rather than sitting down and emailing or writing to them. So that yeah, part I, I found that. really hard yeah. because once they've read over your stuff, they have to send it back all in massive writing things. And then, and then you, have you have to read to it. Read it yeah. and sit down where I just want to pick the phone and just say, let's talk about this and why I'm not changing it and why I'm keeping that. And that. <laughs> you have to document everything. So those processes are just like, it's just not... It's hard to navigate. It's hard to navigate yeah. and that. But 
I just felt it was really important. It's a new skills that I never thought I had yeah. as well, you know? Yeah. Because um, I wouldn't have called myself a writer at all. At all. Yeah. You know, and even now, like, it's hard to think of myself as an author. Yeah. I'm a chancer who writes yes. books. <laughs> Quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there weren't published yeah. other Sierra Leonean authors you could turn to for kind of inspiration. Exactly. But were there any other books that you read, like either that came out recently or that came out a long time ago that inspired you or kind of helped you see what this book might be? Yeah. So there are Sierra Leoneans who have done like self-publishing things okay. where they've done like cookery books. Oh, um, great. Where I've bought, I've gone on Amazon and had a look at their work and seen what they've done. But these are like really, really, I remember speaking to my mom and she was like, oh, it's so and so, she went to YWC and she wrote a book. So it's looking at those and the things that, not necessarily stories, but the recipes that they've written. Yeah. And um, some, some of it I look at and I go, mm, okay, some of it I don't necessarily agree with yeah. and, and that. Some of it makes sense, some of it didn't make sense to me. At all, and some of it is a completely different style of cooking as well from what I grew up with. So, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, but I would say quite a lot of the reference in terms of recipes for the traditional, I think it all came from my mom and my grandmother because um, they're the best at doing those dishes yeah. that I know. Yeah. In terms of um, recipe book, I'm a massive fan of um, Rick Stein. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I like books that dig into culture. Yeah. And not just talking about food. Yes. I like books that want to know a bit background about the people and yeah. the food that they give eat. Give you the context. And give you a yeah. context. So, but I didn't really focus, focus on, on books because yeah. um, I had a really very clear idea also. Like I really wanted to make it not just about the food. And I really wanted to focus heavily on Sierra Leone. And as you said, because there's not really that, it's quite hard, like, it's almost like you're starting from zero. Yeah. And building yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Mm. And because at the heart of it is the trip that you made. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and that was that trip huge, was yeah. massive, massive, massive. And um, I have a very clear idea about photos as well that I wanted okay, and okay. stuff like that. Great. So, And the good news is I had Quadro who kind of gave me a lot of control in places like that. That's because, amazing, um, yeah. Sometimes I just find, you know, when it comes to cookbook, it's quite similar. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, yeah. not necessarily in a bad way, but I also know that this is a new cuisine that people don't know about. And um, it was very important for me that the style of the photo represents me. Yeah. And, um, and the style of the photo is very simple. Yeah. And it focuses a lot on the food. I wanted all the focus, like minimalistic props, with, yeah, with, with okay. it as well yeah. and um, you know Claire understood that very very much from the minute that I said it you know what and she's like yeah I get it that's what we're gonna go for Great. I'll find your photographer that is very much like that and Yuki just is she's just an amazing photographer so yeah. she was able to really capture what I wanted um, in the in the book as well I knew I wanted to focus on Sierra Leone and Sierra Leoneans, but after that trip, it really, I was very 100% sure that I'd gone down the right route and just making it about the everyday Sierra Leonean. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. People that people wouldn't necessarily write about usually. Yes. Or people yeah, that usually, absolutely. people won't capture usually. Yeah. I wanted to capture that because for me, I feel like they're the real magic 
of Sierra Leone and it's the people that will welcome you into their home and their space with a massive grin on their face, not expecting anything, but just being super, super friendly. Mm. I want to feed you till your stomach bursts, really. So The best kind of welcome. The, the best kind of welcome, exactly. So it was very important for me to showcase that. Lekker is hosted and produced by me, Lucy Dearlove. Thanks to my guest on this episode, Maria Bradford. Her book Sweets Alone is out now, published by Quadrille. As part of the new monthly Lekker Book Club, I'll be writing about the book over on the Lekker Substack and Patreon. Have you got a copy? Are you reading it? Have you been cooking from it too? Come and chat about your favourite recipes in the comments over there, or tag me on Instagram when you post your finished dishes. I'd love to see them. I'm really excited to cook from it myself. And just one more reminder before the end of the show, you can sign up as a paid subscriber to support Lekker on Apple Podcasts, Patreon, and also now on Substack too. Links are in the show notes. Your support is really helpful in keeping the podcast going, and to any paid subscribers who are listening here, thank you so much for your continued support. It means the world. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Lekker Book Club will be back in August with another delicious read for your kitchen bookshelves. Thanks for listening.